Another week, another win for Michigan. Another year, another Big Ten championship, and another berth in the college football playoff. The Wolverines cruise past Iowa 26 to nothing to win their third straight Big Ten title. And now we move on to face Alabama with a shot at the ultimate prize. Welcome to 16 Saturdays. Nick Fogel here with my brother Will. Will, how are we doing this morning? Nick, we're pretty chill. We're, we're pretty calm. You know, normally we get we get into that big stretch as we, we go down to face Penn State, face Ohio State, and we come into this podcast. It's Monday afternoon where we've, we've got a beer or some Admirals jug and we're fired up. And today it's, it's 1140 in the a.m. on a Thursday. We're both fathers sort of recovering from restive evenings uh, with our with our kiddos drinking some detox <laughs> herbal tea. I haven't brushed my teeth yet. I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know where you're at. I can tell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what the Iowa game gives you. Right. Right? It's like, well, it's not a very exciting, exciting matchup. Now, what's ahead of us is exciting. Uh, and we're, we're going to get to that in the second half of our show where we break down the anger that some may feel about this college football playoff and how it was decided, but the opportunity that's absolutely there for Michigan, best opportunity we've had for the Natty since 97. Yeah. Do we want to start with the pro forma, with the good, the meh? Sure. Let's, the, yeah, let's do it. And I mean, I, I would just start with like the, the meta or the macro good for me is like, we won a big 10 championship and it felt kind of like, ho-hum you know it's like ah all right good you know we won that and and i know uh you know people writing about the game said even a lot of the players it was it was a very different reaction than it was beating you know iowa you know two years ago to win the first of these three um now it's sort of like all right yep we've done that let's move on We, we accomplished that goal sort of check it off the list and now um you know let's let's focus up for for the playoff and that's a that's a marked shift, right? Like, cause two years ago beating that Iowa team, like obviously the, the Ohio state game was the big one, but it wasn't complete without the Iowa, the Iowa one. And there was still a, a huge sense of, of, you know, joy, at least on my side, winning that game uh, against Iowa this time around, it was sort of like, yes, I'm glad we won it. It would have really sucked to lose it, but I'm not like, you know, it's more just like it's to say that we the did box, it. Yes. You expect to do it, and it's just a step on the journey rather than the, the end of the line. Yes. But we saw this even earlier this year as we talked on this podcast. Do you go to the Ohio State game, or do you keep your powder dry for a playoff appearance? That was not a conversation we were having three years ago. Right. And I still said you should go to the Ohio State game. Like, I'm still... And I, I'm I, still happy I did. Yes. I still think... Um, I will. I will say. I think beating Ohio State is bigger than beating Bama. Now, I don't. I don't know. Like, would I rather beat Ohio State or win the national championship? That's a little bit tougher. I still think I'd go with beating Ohio State, though. Like, ultimately, to me, like success in a football season, especially this year with all the shenanigans that have gone on outside the field, is winning the Big Ten and, and beating Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still listening to Ohio State podcasts every day. Can't get enough. And they are still. <laughs> imploding over that loss and still just trying to come to grips with, you know, can they rationalize they've only lost one in a row because of the signs, but they really know they've lost three in a row and they haven't beat Michigan in nearly 1,500 days. And it will be over 1,900 days or 1,800 days by the time they have an opportunity to lose to Michigan again. (laughs) And their whole team is departing. Yes. We'll talk about that later in the show. We'll We'll do a quick, you know, peek at the transfer portal thinking about next year because usually this time of year you start to move towards next year we've now had the luxury the privilege the honor the last three years of being able to stay keep the focus on this year and all the things that we can accomplish um ohio state doesn't have that and and, and their players are are fleeing um yeah i think 12 or 13 in the portal at last count the top yeah top program their whole in the, sk- the, the whole offensive skill position players are, are likely gone. I mean, I know there's still a couple of decisions for Trevon Henderson and Ibuka. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ibuka, but those guys are all like first round uh, grades. So it seems likely they're going to have to replace their entire skill position. 
So and it seems likely they'll be able to. Uh, yeah, we'll see. But we'll it's, see. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, while we may not be moving on to next year, we should move on to the next week going here, despite having this herbal tea. Um, so, Nick, what do you got in the more specific Iowa good? Well, to me, the thing that was the most fun that I was almost most looking forward to was the trophy presentation. <laughs> and so uh, we had the we had the prop bets, which we'll go over. Uh, shout out to Jack Fogle, our cousin, who actually won the prop bets. Uh, but there was a prop bet of how many sentences Tony Petiti would would speak. And we gave it, you know, zero through five. Nobody picks zero. And what did he say? Not a Not single a word. word. <laughs> Not a single word. And I loved the pictures of him, like, walking off the field and just, like, you know, that was probably the most animated you saw the Michigan crowd the whole day was, uh, you know, letting him hear it. So uh, I, I love that Tony Petiti had to give this trophy to Michigan. He didn't even give it to Jim Harbaugh. He gave it to Zach Zinter. Yeah, um, but he had to, you know, share a stage and had to acknowledge he won the Big Ten after he made a fool of himself this season, um, and and likely, you know, you'd have to imagine cost himself a job, cost himself a job, or or cost his league its most valuable commodity, or one of its two most valuable commodities. I I love that Harbaugh had Zinter yeah. accept the trophy on behalf of the team. It said, "Those who stay will be champions." Moment Zinter probably had a first round grade last year. He was an All-American. He came back uh, to do this, watching the team rally around him. And then, you know, Harbaugh never has to be fake. He never has to smile at uh, Tony Petiti, who he obviously despises. <laughs> yeah. um, so you love Harbaugh being able to continue to be authentic and, and Zinter to center in that moment. Yeah. I mean, along the same lines, I love the Samaj Morgan. So really we're thinking about like, like the, the Samaj Morgan play was awesome. And that was a, a, you know, you're a little bit nervous just because it's like, well, it is a 3 nothing game and like we're not moving the ball very well. Once Samaj makes that return and we punch it in, it's like, over. all right, yeah, we yeah. feel pretty good. It's 10 nothing. like I don't, I don't see Iowa doing much. So Samaj, you know, he gets the two plays of the game to me. It's the punt return and then he gets the interview afterwards, <laughs> which was just absolutely classic. And I love that Harbaugh. I mean, Harbaugh is just... The, the idea of pulling in players, and he doesn't, it's not always like JJ or Blake Corum, like pulling in guys who have done something big in the game, Will Johnson, um, you know, these these different players, is such a fun twist. Well, and it's even more in this case, it wasn't just what Samaj did in this game. This was a redemption and a growth opportunity for Samaj. So I, I don't know if you know the whole background, or some yeah. of our listeners don't know the whole background, but after the Ohio State game, Samaj gets on his social media and sounds off. And he's saying some stuff that, that's probably a little immature. I mean, he's he's making fun of Marvin Harrison Jr., who was absolutely the best player on the field, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and calling him names we're not even going to use on this program. And I, I think after that, Harbaugh probably had a conversation with him where he said, you know, good to flex, but we're looking to you to be a future leader of this program. And so to have the confidence to probably have that talking to a little bit off camera and then right away turn around and give Samaj the opportunity, uh, you know, to go be a man and, and improve on, on camera. I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Uh, it's worth remembering that this program raises not just football champions, but it raises and develops young men. And the graduation rate from those who stay is 100%. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing when you think about your Harbaugh extension talk. It's not just the success on the field. It really is like this is a team you can root for. The, you know, the academics are good. The graduation rates are good. Um, it seems like uh, you know, any group of 100-plus guys are going to have some, some issues. But it seems like the culture is much healthier around the program than it's been in, in a while. So um, that's good to see. Well, I got to shout out Massachusetts guy, Mikey Samer, still um, a couple of, of massive – uh, plays in this game that you know the, the two forced fumbles I don't know if, if the second one totally was but it was it was so close such like a bang bang play um, I would have been I would have been furious if I was an Iowa fan honestly on that on that second one yeah that's I think it. it was it was close but they reviewed it uh, I don't think it was a fumble it yeah doesn't that, change, and it doesn't change the outcome of the game but we got to call it like we see it I don't I, I think that's an inexcusable call 
and it was ten nothing at that point. You fumble there, we punch it in like two plays later. The game's over. At the game point. was over before. I, I don't want any. any but, but there's at least if you're thought. an Iowa fan, you have like a prayer, right? No, you have, you if you're an prayer. Iowa fan, you've watched your offense all year. <laughs> you know you're losing this game, so it doesn't affect the outcome of the game. It's still the wrong call, um, and it was one of I think few examples where we've seen calls go wrong. The last few weeks, I've actually been pretty impressed by the officiating, especially after reviews. I think they've been getting calls right. Yeah, I mean, it was it was clear. I thought the the second part of it, the the clear recovery, I thought was fair. That was fine. Yeah, that they just fine. shouldn't have blown the whistle because I think Wallace would have just scored, and then I would have gotten my prediction on Michigan's defense outscoring. <laughs> Uh, well, anything else in the good? Uh, no, I mean, got to give it to the D-line. I mean, this was a, a dominant performance, obviously against the worst offense in the country. Um, but the D-line, particularly the defensive interior, just held up yeah. and, and made it such that from, from the jump, you were confident watching Iowa try to run the ball. But no, nothing doing there. Yeah, and that's going to be a key. Like, does you know if Michigan's able to hold up against Bama, the D-line needs to be really good. Like yeah. You got you have to win the battle in the trenches. And so far that D line has held up. And and we said that same thing against Ohio State and they held up, right? They forced Ohio State to beat you through the air. Same thing has to be true against Bama. Yeah. And it and it's gonna be a little bit harder task with Milrow being a, you know a dual threat. Yeah. Because I, I do think it that. helps that this is not, you know, the Rashawn Gary type rush where oftentimes he would end up five yards past the opposing quarterback coming from the edge, exposes you a bit more to the QB's legs. Yeah. When this rush is coming up the interior, there's not nearly as much of an escape lane yes. for the quarterback. So I think this Michigan team is better suited to play a, D, uh, a mobile quarterback than maybe some of the good defensive lines we've had in the past, just because if you're playing a mobile quarterback – You'd rather have that pressure coming up the middle yes. than from the edge. Yes. Um, well, on the mess side, I think I, I would say the, the O-line to me was was met. The offense overall was met. And I, I think the question here is how much of that was, hey, Iowa's just really good. And maybe actually Iowa is better than Alabama's defense. Um how much of it was, well, once we get up 3 nothing, I was really bad. <laughs> I was really bad at offense. So, like, we're going to run a really conservative game plan, and, and you can't really take too much away from this game because we're just trying to not fumble, not turn the ball over, not get anybody hurt. Um, or how much of it is, like, hey, we just aren't great against good defenses. Yeah. I, I, my guess is that most of this, if you're looking at the offense as a whole, most of it is – a function of Iowa's offense being really bad uh, and and their defense being pretty good and the result being a conservative game plan that focuses on not turning the ball over. So I'm not worried that we didn't take any deeper shots. We know that's in the in the quiver. I do think there are a few th- a few trends that are worrisome. One is this D-line, sorry, the O-line uh is not great at pass protect and doesn't really move bodies on the run in nearly as dominant a way as the last two years. Uh, they were not finalists for the Joe Moore Award this year, and I think that was fair. Um, this is a good offensive line, but it's not a dominant one. The second potentially problematic thing is that Roman Wilson has sort of disappeared yeah. a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Uh, to beat an Alabama team, it would be really nice to be able to stretch them. And I, I see that as being pretty hard, particularly because I think their corners are, are pretty good. Yeah, I think we're going to have a really hard time with the Alabama secondary. Alabama secondary is is quite good, quite athletic. And I think you're right. Like the, um, you know, Kojo had a pretty good game, but it was mostly short stuff. We haven't seen against Penn State, Ohio State, and uh, and Iowa, the three really good defenses we played this year, we haven't seen the receivers be able to win one on one and get you know get deep, stretch the defense, and that's not necessarily essential. If, if you watch that Alabama Auburn game, it's not as though Peyton Thorne was really threatening <laughs> Alabama with with his his passing, and they they ran for three hundred yards. But it does then require like you got to have a pretty different you know attitude towards running JJ, and you got to have a different you, you got to be able to run the football. So or um, you've got to have your tight ends catch passes. You need to have your because yes. we had two yes. 
two 20, 30 yard plays uh, where tight ends, you know, Barner dropped one and Loveland dropped one. Right. Those two go the other way. JJ's stats look better. The, the scoreboard probably looks different. Um, and I think the opportunities will be there for tight ends against Bama in much the same way they were there in this game and they were there in Ohio, the Ohio State game. Yeah, I mean, JJ uh, was 22 of 30 for 147. You you there's you make that twenty four of twenty five because because yeah. uh, uh, Loveland dropped two first downs and Barner dropped one uh, that would have put them inside the five. Those are you know you make those catches and all of a sudden like JJ's probably twenty five of thirty for two hundred yards and we win this game. I don't know thirty five yeah. yeah and and now it's like a you know very different outcome and and it's it's likely that Loveland and you know Loveland and Barner have been really good uh, all year so I'm not not super worried there. The, the, the real mad, though, of this game is not the O-line. It's that this game is just a come down after Ohio State, right? Like, you're not getting up for this game. And so the, the, the question is, going forward, do you like the move to the top two teams in the Big Ten playing each other? Remember, the Big Ten East won every single year that the Big Ten East and Big Ten West were divisions. Big yeah. Ten East won 11 in a row. I do like getting rid of the divisions, uh, because it's, it's really not, it's like, you know, the A and the B and, and, and especially, and it makes it kind of sad. Like I like playing teams like Wisconsin more frequently. I like playing, you know, Minnesota and I don't really like having to play Maryland and Rutgers every year. I would rather get rid of the big 10 championship game altogether. And I would say you play a nine or 10 game, uh, regular season. Everybody can play that week. Let everybody play one more game. Uh, and let's just use the regular season stats to determine who the Big Ten champ is. Yeah, I would rather that too. But when you're moving to a world where we're going to have, what, 18 teams in the Big Ten? You are not going to be able to play everyone. And there's going to be, there are going to be like legitimate debates. What I really don't like is the, the idea of Michigan and Ohio State playing back-to-back weeks. Uh, and maybe playing a third time in the playoff. Like that, yeah. that I really don't like. As I said, like to me, the high point of the season every year is going to be the Ohio State game. And, 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 and one, on of the reasons, one of the reasons that is such a high point is that you know that if you win, you have 364 yes. days of bragging rights. And right. if they win, you're going to endure 364 days of pain. Yes, there's and no so redo. Having, having the redo cheapens that game I agree. in a way that, that I don't like to see. But I do think like if you imagine playing, you know, Washington, Oregon, USC in that in that title game and imagine we hadn't played them during this during the regular season. And oh by the way, we're moving to a 12 team playoff where like that doesn't become an elimination game. Yeah. The loser likely still goes to the playoff. Now I'm not as I'm not as worried about it. I, I look, I kind of wish that there was some flexibility in all of this. So there, you know, there's years where it's like, hey, one team is ten and zero in the Big Ten, and one team is eight and two. Okay, the ten and zero team just won, yeah. and we don't have to play it. Um, and maybe some year there's three teams that are, you know, nine and one, and they play like a mini round robin or something. Like mm-hmm. having a little more flexibility would be awesome. This year, you know, and we'll get into it later on. It'd be great if if Florida State and Bama played a plan. Like give the committee some flexibility in that. That would be my ideal. I know, obviously, you know. Tough for scheduling purposes yeah. uh, all, all around, but I, I'm with you. I, really, my solution for the Big Ten is you've got 18 teams. Just have a Big Ten that is the top 10 teams and have a bottom, you know, yeah, relegation, nine, yep. bottom nine relegation. You can play eight or nine, you know, eight conference games. I right. guess right done. Yeah, love that. Will any anything you got for the uh? The only real uh here is that this would have been a fun game. And could have been a fun and special Iowa team if Iowa's offense wasn't so terrible. Yeah, we I, mean, were, I just don't know the words. The words to describe it fail you. It, ha- it has to be so frustrating yeah. to be a, a member of Iowa's defensive team. Now, to be fair to them, I mean, they lose Cade, they lose Eric All. Those are probably their two best players on offense. But, yeah, like if you play year in and year out on one of the best defenses in the country— and your offense is literally ranked dead last. That's got to be frustrating. Yeah, the the Iowa defensive coordinator won the Broyles Award for the top coordinator in the country. He absolutely deserved it. Yeah, Brian Ferentz 
fired midseason as the offensive coordinator absolutely deserved it. Yeah, I just imagine the like when the team hangs out outside of it, it's got to be like kind of different, you know, like I don't like oh man, how does the defense treat the offense in the in, you know and, and think about practice too yeah, how the is offense the defense so never, good given that yeah. the defense doesn't get challenged at all yeah maybe <laughs> that's part of why the offense is so bad the defense just dominates them all practice <laughs> Um, well, before we, we take a break, let's just quickly recap. We had a bunch of prop bets on the live pod. I know, you know, some folks got to listen to that. A lot of fun. Uh, are we going to get a live pod January 1st, New Year's Day live pod before the Rose Bowl? I don't see why not. All right. So we'll get, we'll get another live pod. We'll, we'll get that out to the people, but well, we had a bunch of bets that we took. So we'll just run through these quickly, um, and see how we did most yards for running backs, the winner there, Blake Corum, he was the, and we, we weighted these, so he was the favorite going in. You get the you know, fewest number of points. Um, he, get, he gets one point, so Blake, Blake Corum. Uh, most yards for receiver, this was a bit of a surprise. Cornelius Johnson, he, not a huge surprise, but he has a big day. Roman Wilson, very quiet. Loveland maybe would have been in there without those couple drops. <laughs> um, so Kojo gets the most receiving yards. Touchdowns for Corum, uh, he, he walks away with two, um, and, and that was... Uh, not that big of an underdog, really. Yeah, that probably should have actually been given given the season. That's what he's done all year. Yeah, um, two is his average. Now, to be fair, of the four people who participated in this bet, three of them picked that he would get two. So uh, it, it was fairly fairly common. We talked about this one: number of sentences that Tony Petiti speaks. Goose egg. Zero. No words spoken by that man. Uh, there is the. Did you see the picture of him, Harbaugh, and Joel Klatt? Yeah, it looked like there were some words being exchanged there. Yeah, I think it probably was just like, hey, why don't you give the award to Zach Zinter? Yeah, Uh, I'm sure they kept it cordial. Um, I I think Harbaugh is not trying to get in any more trouble at this point. Um, Number of Iowa turnovers. This one, we we said zero all the way up to five plus, and the answer was three. Good job. Tip of the hat to you. Yeah, I got that one. On that one. Yeah. Um, that was impressive. Uh, Nick, we had four more. Uh, Blake o- Corum over or under uh, 92 and a half yards rushing. Uh, well under. Well under. Uh, I took that one. We were both off. Deacon Hill just scrapes by the over on 104 and a half yards passing. Roman Wilson uh, under 43 yards receiving. Yeah, well under. Uh, and Iowa. Under uh, 0.5 <laughs> offensive points in both the first and second halves. Um, so, Nick, you took – really, we have, to, we have to give respect to Jack Fogel, our, our cousin, who won the, the prop bet, the top section, the weighted section, um, and you did edge me out in that section. Uh, and then I beat you in this, this bottom section. So we'll call it a, call it a wash. <laughs> Um, well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the playoffs. We'll talk about you know what everyone's sort of saying that the Florida State versus Alabama uh, debate. We'll kind of preview that Alabama game a bit, and we'll we'll take a, a quick peek at at next year as well. You're listening to 16 Saturdays. Saturdays, Will, Michigan is going to get Alabama in the college football playoff. Let's start with this question before we get into, you know, do they deserve to be there? I want to just say, like, 
are you happy about them being there? Like from a Michigan standpoint? I think I'm happy about Alabama being there because I think for Michigan winning the national title, going through one of the blue bloods of college football, and really Alabama is the blue blood of college football in the 21st century, it feels right to go through this team. Um, so I'm happy to be playing them. I am still scarred from you know Troy Smith all the way through JT Barrett. Uh, never love playing against a mobile quarterback. And yeah. so that's a little bit scary uh, when you look at Milrow and how he's progressed throughout the year. Uh, it's also scary to play Nick Saban after a month. Yeah. Right? He, Nick Saban prepping. We remember when we played a Saban-led Alabama at the beginning of a season, uh, just how devastating that was. Well, I was going to say, if we're able to beat Alabama, like what a... You could you could see the the progress, right? Because we played that Alabama game. I think that was was that the end of the Hoke era. Yeah, I think it was 2012, 2013. I remember Blake Countess could not hang with whoever that was. Well, yeah. he got injured like right. Oh, away. you're right. He did get injured. Yep. yep. Um, and then it was just down. And then it was done. There. I mean, we we were down twenty eight nothing in the first quarter. I think. Yeah, because that, that was the Denard sort of era. Like, Welcome to the football season. Yes. We were nowhere close to Bama. We played them two years ago in the bowl, and that was actually a pretty three good— years Three years ago. That was the Shea Patterson's last game. That was actually a pretty good game, I thought, for us. Yeah, that was encouraging because I think that the coaching was pretty even in that game. Yeah. Um, we, we hung with Saban, and, and just they had the better players. Yes. And, I, and really, it was like if Shea Patterson had been a little bit better, yeah, we, we would have been you know, really competitive in that game. Um, so yeah, this, this would be one of those ones to sort of, I think it, it, you said at the beginning of the show, an opportunity to say like, Hey, look at how far we've come. Now yeah, we truly have arrived. And Michigan does, will enter this game with more NFL talent on the two deep. Um, I, at least for next year and, in the draft, yeah, in the, in the in, upcoming draft, in yeah. this upcoming draft, you know, this, this game, there's more talent, uh, on the Michigan side. Yeah. Where Michigan may struggle in particular, if, if you're, you're looking for where to, to get worried, be nervous about uh, Alabama in the secondary. I think it's going to be tough to push the ball downfield except to the, to the tight ends. Um, be worried about Milrose mobility uh, and what they can scheme up for him. But I think that's really where well, you're... Well, he's you're really worried. good at deep shots, too. Yeah. Like, he's not, he's not the most... Accurate passer on the short underneath stuff. He was really actually pretty bad early in the season on that. But from the jump, he's been really good at deep shots. And he likes to take those deep shots. And, and obviously, Tommy Reese and Nick Saban like to, to, to dial those up. So um, the big plays, you have you have to limit those big plays and force him into some difficult reads. Because he's still, like, at the end of the day, he got benched in this season for a reason. I get that he's playing better football now. But, like... Let's not, not pretend he's Bryce Young, right? Like, and, and 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 when we say he's playing better now, he still almost lost to a six and six Auburn team. Yes, that had just gotten smoked by New Mexico State. Right. Um, so, Nick, I, I don't think those deep shots are really any more concerning than Kyle McCord throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. I think we've prepped for that all year. That's why I guess I'm not as worried about their downfield passing attack because that's what we've repped for what we haven't necessarily faced or proven this team can beat is the combination of that with the quarterback uh who can get out of the pocket and so i you really want michael barrett to be fully healthy junior colson to have a big game because the linebacker spy and and being able to contain his bursts is going to be important no, I think, I think that's right. And mixing in different coverages, this is one where, um, you know, I don't know that Jalen Miller is quite as advanced. He's still a young quarterback. He's in his first year as a starter. Again, shaky, really shaky last year when he came in and sort of backup duty for Bryce Young. Um, there was lots of consternation in the Alabama camp in the, throughout the spring, summer, even into the early part of the fall. If you can make, you know, get him confused, get a little pressure on him, have him seeing a little bit of ghosts out there, it feels like you can get him off the game and you just can't let him have time and sit back there. That's where I, the concern about the deep shots really is like when he has a read and it's like, Hey, I'm just going to throw it deep at this guy. 
Yeah. He's proven that he's pretty good at that. I think Jesse Minter has proven that it is not going to be, he's not going to have many of those obvious read opportunities. Right. Unless it's one-on-one coverage against Will Johnson. And I think we were comfortable uh, taking those taking those chances. Yeah, they don't have they don't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, there's no Judy player. this year. Right, um, right. That is the nice thing. We're getting Alabama, and it is Alabama, and it's the brand and everything. But it's not like Georgia two years ago, or it's yeah. not Alabama. You know, what we will be missing, and, and my worry, if Zinter were there for this game, I would feel very confident going into this game. The right side of that line, particularly in pass pro. Uh, with Trente Jones and Carson Barnhart is potentially an area of concern. Yes, their DNs uh, are very good. Dallas yeah. Turner will, will likely be, you know, a high draft pick and, and you know they, they are Chris Boswell Braswell, really good. So you can say they're not any better than Penn State, but we saw that <laughs> yeah. Penn State took us out of the passing yes. game and we're not gonna win a, a playoff game without having a balanced attack in all likelihood. So that's gonna be a, a big area of focus over the next month. Trente Jones and Carson Barnhart look for them to have the games of their lives uh, against Alabama in the semifinal. Yeah. Um, Will, so let's get into it, though. Does Alabama actually deserve to be there? This is one that, you know, it's so big that Kara was saying she's been reading about it in the New York Times. So, um, you know, there's there's letters from governors and senators and investigations and all these kinds of things. We actually disagree on this one. Why don't you start by making your case? Well, let me start by saying you are asking fundamentally the wrong question. The committee's job is to follow the instructions they're given, right? That's all you can ask of a body. And the instructions they are given say explicitly, we are not looking for the most deserving teams. We are looking for the four best teams. Now, you can make an argument they never fully followed that. Right? They're not choosing the top four teams by the fancy stats. There was no chance that Georgia or Ohio State was going to get in. And there's a very good argument that one of those two teams is a, is a top four or, team. Or Oregon. Or Oregon. Uh, however, let's just remember that deserving is not in the lexicon and is explicitly not in the lexicon. So if we are looking at the best teams... I think there is a very strong argument to be made that Alabama is a better team than a Florida state that doesn't have Jordan Travis. And whether we should be doing deserving or best is an open question for later, but that is not a question that this committee was supposed to determine. So I think if you're looking at this, don't look at Alabama versus Florida state. Look at how should these decisions be made and where is the process wrong? Some of the things that I think they probably should do, let's have these conversations in the open. Let's have more transparency. Let's establish ahead of time which metrics we're going to be evaluating teams on and what we're going to care about. Because when you have this amorphous process, it lends itself to a situation where when you've got a a close call, people are going to be upset. I mean, I think either way, people are going to be upset, right? There, this was a very close call. And this is where I think, you know, have a little more flexibility. Have them do a play-in game. That's the only way you're going to, like, well, sure, not we can get them agree upset. on it. We can agree but, on a play-in game. But there, there's no way even – all right, say it's completely transparent. It's like, well, we're going to use SP Plus and we're going to, you know, what these computers. We're going to have these people. At the end of the day, you're going to have one team's going to make it and one team's not going to make it. And whoever doesn't make it is going to be upset. It's the wrong metrics. It's, you know, whatever it is. And that, and to some degree, that's part of the beauty of the sport, right? Is that you have these debates. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you move to a twelve-team, I'm less concerned. Like, obviously, yes, okay, the, the the team that gets left out in the twelve-team playoff, they're upset, but they weren't a team that like was a top. Like here, the problem is Florida State did everything yeah. that they were asked. You to should do. be able to control your own destiny at the beginning of the year, particularly if, and this is the argument in Florida State's favor, that you schedule LSU. Right. You know, you're not dodging big out-of-conference games, it really hurt Florida State that Clemson was so down this year, that North Carolina fell apart down the stretch. They just didn't have, that LSU uh, didn't have quite as good a year. So here's here's right, here's my, my challenge to that. What are you looking at for Alabama? It's one game, right? I, okay, they beat, they beat Ole Miss. But the SEC was what, seven and nine against Power Five programs this year? Like the SEC was super inflated in the college football top 25. But when you think about their, their like real wins, were they that much more impressive than Louisville or sorry, than, than, uh, than Florida States? 
I think that the combination of Georgia, LSU, and Ole Miss is more impressive than Clemson, which Florida State barely won, LSU, which they did win handily, uh, and Louisville. So that's, that's a better top three wins. Let me let me make my argument here. I think the whole best versus most deserving is a is a fool's errand. Yes, they're going to say we're going for the best, but as you just admitted, that is not really what they do. Because they're not looking at Vegas odds and they're not looking at like fancy stats. There's a there's a deserving element that obviously gets baked in. And, you know, Bama beats Georgia. Ba- Georgia might still be a better football team, but no one's going to be like, oh, well, let's take Georgia. They're better. They, you know, they just didn't, you know, they had a couple plays didn't go their way. Maybe that fourth down conversion that leads to the first Bama touchdown. You throw, you know, no one's making that argument. It's, okay, Bama goes because Bama beat them. And, and therefore, it's the most deserving. So we're going with – we are going with most deserving, and I think we should go with most deserving because otherwise it's just a recruiting conversation. It's like, well, you have the best roster. You have the best coaches. So, like, yes. Like, am I as a Michigan fan more afraid to play Bama? Yes. They have a better, more talented roster. They have the best coach in the history of the sport, and he has a month to prepare. But if we look at deserving, which I do think has to be the, the question, then it's like, well, look at this Bama team. They're what three three with USF, you know, in, in the second half. They win that game, you know, seventeen thirteen. They should have lost. Absolutely should have lost. Not like the beginning of the year, but two weeks ago to Auburn. They're six and six. So to me, it's if you want to go with best over like one team over the other, it has to be clear and obvious. Like you could, I'm fine if you want to go with Bama over Florida State if it's clear and obvious. And I think most years it is it would be clear and obvious. In this case. I think they latched onto the Jordan Travis thing, which was unfair because Rodemaker didn't really get a chance. He's a high four-star recruit. It's not clear that Rodemaker is such like a bad quarterback. They then completely discounted the fact that the Florida State defense was like one of the best in the country and it completely shut down Louisville, who is a top 10 team. Like they they looked good in that, you know, in that in that game, for especially on the defensive side. And you're gonna have a totally different offense because you're starting like a true freshman in his first start. So I think they latched onto that as an excuse. And they pit they put this Bama team in based on historical, you know, brand. I don't think it's based in. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's entirely based on historical brand. I think that both of these teams have a deserving argument. Being un, you know, undefeated in your conference season and capping it off with winning the conference championship against the number one team in the country makes you a deserving team to make the playoffs. Being undefeated overall in the season, including an impressive out-of-conference win, also makes you a deserving team to make the college football playoff. As Florida State, as Alabama, they both have embarrassingly close wins. Remember, Florida State took basically a miracle to beat Boston College, uh, not at the very beginning of the year, and with their best quarterback, right? Similarly, Alabama has some embarrassing wins. Neither of these teams is flawless. They're both deserving. I can totally buy an argument where you would choose Florida State, but I don't think this is something people always want to get outraged by a result. I just don't think there's anything outrageous here. I think if you're Florida State, you have every right to be very disappointed. I think if you want to hate the SEC, as I do, you have every right to think maybe there's some bias in there. But I don't think either choice was going to be outrageous. Yeah, I agree. I'm not. I'm not outraged by this, and I. I was pretty confident they were going to go with Bama. Like I was surprised when you wake up Sunday and the and Vegas thinks it's going to be Florida State, like that. I was like, yeah, they're they're not going to keep the SEC out of this. And and I think like Bama, you know, again, I I think Bama is probably a better team. But I, but where it where where my sort of issue with it is. Again, if you if you lose and you're comparing these, you know, one's undefeated and when one is not, in a normal year where Alabama has looked strong throughout, okay, fine. And you know, Florida State's got these flaws, okay, fine. But Bama lost. Granted, it's to another playoff team. It's a good team, but they lost at home, and it's not. It hasn't been the Bama all year, so it's not like okay, well, yeah, but look at all these other wins that are propping them up. It's like no, they had one good win against Georgia, and oh by the way. Georgia hasn't played anyone either. So are we even sure that like, like I think Georgia's good, but it's not like Georgia's had the year to be like, well, clearly it's Georgia and Bama and those are one and two and they're playing each other. And you know, the winner of that game is, you know, the best thing ever. It's like, no, the SEC has been down all year. Georgia hasn't played that many great games. Bama's played a lot of bad games 
And so like, does the winner of that automatically get a spot to jump over a team? And that's where, again, I'm not outraged by it. I'm on the other side of you. I think Florida State deserved to be there. I think they, they got the raw end. Um, uh, but, but obviously, had it gone the other way, like Bama fans are going to be pissed. I, let's let's at least give the committee or whoever makes these selections credit. I love that Florida State is going to be playing Georgia in their bowl game. If they win that game, Florida State's going to hang a banner. And at the end of the day, who cares whether they won the college football playoff? They will celebrate that like a national championship, and I think they deserve it. I mean, they will celebrate it like it, but we in their hearts, they're not going to think that. Like, if you're a fan, it's not the same as winning the championship. I don't know. I mean, people tell me that we split the national title with Nebraska in 97, and I do not feel that way at all. Yeah, but it's a different system. You didn't yeah. go through the actual playoff, right? Yeah. Like it's a, and, and Georgia's, I'm sure, going to have some guys who opt out. Like these, these, Even these major bowls, these New Year's Six bowls, are basically glorified exhibitions. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not the same team, and there's not the same stakes. All right. Well, I, I, I think we've let this one run its course. We can agree not to be totally outraged. We can maybe disagree on how this should have shaken out. And we can um, agree that I think this is a better opportunity for Michigan. Like, it, it, yes. I would have liked to have dodged Alabama. I'm not, like, opposed <laughs> to taking, you know, the, what was it, the, uh, the the Michigan basketball path to the second championship game where we just played, like, <laughs> 9 seed, 12 seed. Like, we'd have to play anyone until we ran into Villanova buzzsaw. Uh, but this does, like, if we win this, there's no, like, oh, well, they didn't play anyone. It's like, well, yeah. no, we went through Ohio State, Bama, and then either Texas or Washington. Like, this is a stacked playoff. Um, really, really exciting playoff. It's I like, think we are better off. We're better suited to play Bama than Texas, too. So I'm glad that we have that uh, that matchup. I think Texas's defensive tackles, Texas on the interior, was going to make running the ball on them difficult. And their downfield threats were also pretty scary to me. Yeah. Will, let's make a just quick predictions here in the in the playoff side. So we have Michigan versus Bama in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I'm assuming we're going we're to go Michigan, go Michigan there. Who do you think? So Texas and Washington, this is basically a road game for Washington. That's the thing that scares me. That That is the hard part because I think if this had been in the Rose Bowl, and if you're a Washington fan, by the way, you're pissed that you didn't get that number one seed. I think they had a good argument to be the number one seed over Michigan. Uh I think Washington, I would favor in the Rose Bowl. I'm probably going to favor Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I'll take Washington. Um, I, I think, you know, again, the, the Texas has a really good front seven. They're a little bit weaker in the secondary. And that is exactly the strength of the Washington offense. Um, I mean, I was just really impressed with the Washington played against Oregon. Like, that yeah. was a really impressive win. Um, and you give them a month to prepare. So I, I'm going to go with Washington. I really hope you're right. I'm I'm rooting for Washington in that one. Yeah. Um, it you know, would be fun in this year. You know, that you know SEC next year, Texas and Bama will be be there, and you know all the hype around the Southern schools to have it be Michigan versus Washington for the championship would be would be pretty fun. And then we play each other next September, right? Um, Rematch. So, so yeah, this will this will be very exciting. Yeah. Um, Nick, should we do a quick and a very quick uh, peek <laughs> ahead at next year? Well, the more exciting side, can we start by saying, is OSU imploding? So they, they, <laughs> they now have, um, I don't even want to check who, who's entered the portal today, but losing, so Kyle McCord transferring out, uh, Chip Trainum transferring out. That was today. Yeah. That was today. Uh, you know, just up and down the roster. Julian they, Fleming. Julian Fleming. Former number one recruit out of high school. Right. You know, so, uh, and, and likely going to lose Egbuka and Marvin Harrison and, and Travion Henderson, like Kate Stover, all these guys, um, offense and defensive side, it, it seems like, you know, are, are either going to the NFL or, or transferring out. They got 14 or 15 guys now in the transfer portal. Do you chalk that up as just sort of like, well, oh, that's just 2023 and, you know, every team's got it and Michigan's probably going to have that after the end of the, you know, their season? Or is there something a little off there in Columbus? I mean, not everybody's got it, right? If, if you look up and down the top 25, Ohio State stands out along with maybe Oklahoma and uh, Notre Dame as the place where you're seeing huge exodus. Now there may be more of that from these playoff teams and you just won't see it until after the playoff, but it's not going to be to this level. 
Um, I think there is something broken about that culture at Ohio State that has to get fixed because we saw it with, you know, Mel Tucker in Michigan State. We saw it to a degree with Deion Sanders in Colorado. You can get by with some churn, but if you have too much churn, that's a bad thing for your program. And you combine 12 transfers with the amount of talent that's going to leave for the NFL, uh, and that makes this Ohio State team look a lot less scary. Even if they bring in strength, you just have to have some core group and some core culture. Right. It does seem hard. Like, the Kyle McCord one is a bit of a head-scratcher because I feel like, you know, he was a pretty good quarterback. I don't think there's too many quarterbacks in the portal who are of that stature. And then you got to fa- – like – like presumably he's a leader. Presumably you're grooming him to be a leader, and then to have him walk out, you know, you, you throw in like Cam Ward or somebody from the from the portal who essentially is sort of a one year mercenary. Yeah. Or maybe you know maybe at best a you know two year mercenary. They got to learn the system, but they also have to become leaders. Well, it might be Devin Brown or who's who's been their backup, who's also a five star quarterback. Right, but there, I mean, the Ohio State people have been pretty down on him, so I don't, I don't know. I mean. It doesn't seem like a great sign when you run your your quarterback out of town after the year that Kyle McCord had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their their strength has long been those skill positions on offense, and it is right now uh, not looking good. Right. If you had Justin positions. Fields in the portal, okay, sure. You yeah. Know? But but I don't I don't see that, and so you're running out a lot of talent that seems to be leaving and it's pretty hard to do the, you know, Colorado or Michigan state approach. And, and neither of those have been very yeah, successful. It's not that hard to do it. <laughs> uh, go four and eight or one and 12, one, one and 11. Um, um, well, for, for Michigan, just the, the very quick look ahead seems to suggest this is more, I, I'm of the camp that this is a reload phase. Now, a lot of it depends on what happens with JJ McCarthy. Yeah. I, I think a lot depends on JJ a lot also, to me, depends on the offensive line. Uh, I know we've got great guys marinating, guys with four stars who've been in the program for three years. We know that weight room churns out talent. But replacing four out of your five or all five starters off of a very effective offensive line is a scary proposition as yeah, we talk I mean, about gelling. Uh, you got to imagine that Keegan and Zinter are gone. And Nugent uh, is gone as well, I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's got a decision to make. Yeah, I, I they know. say Henderson is almost certainly gone. Right. Um, I think it would be a, it would be great to get Nugent back and keep that continuity in the center position. But um, after that, you're looking at, at you know, tapping the next, the next guys up. The good thing about that is they're all pretty much four stars who have been in the program for three or four years. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where I'm like, I'm not as nervous – I think it'd be great to get an outside receiver, which it looks like maybe there's some some traction with the the kid from Indiana. It'd be great to maybe pick up a, a second cornerback. Um, the linebacker position is also one that I'm a little bit worried about, especially if Junior Colson decides to go to the league. We're certainly losing Michael Barrett, and if we lose Junior Colson as well, I think that impact can't really be overstated. It's one of those positions where right. you really have to kind of learn it over a period of, of just getting those reps in game. Uh, and we've been quietly spoiled by that position. Some of the other positions on the defense are flashier, but that's been a bedrock strength of this team this year. Right. I mean, the, the, the one thing you would say, though, is hopefully the D-line is shaping up to be even better next year than this year because you basically level up like Derek Moore, uh, Kenneth Grant, Mason Graham, you're, yeah, you're going to lose Harrell. Yeah, you're going to lose Good. Yeah, you're going to lose probably lose Jenkins. But you level up those guys. You know, this sort of Josiah Stewart as Josiah well. Josiah Stewart, a big step forward, right? So uh, the line projects to be a really big strength, and obviously that helps the linebackers out a lot. So yeah. um, the, the the challenge is the schedule is we not. play a real schedule <laughs> yeah. next year. Yeah, there's actual offenses to challenge yes. this this defense, and that's where I think. Uh, you know, your second secondary spot, Josh Wallace will be gone. There's a lot of younger guys who should be good cornerbacks. Jim McBurrow, for example, really has come through, but with Wallace gone and Singer still gone, you still have another spot that you need to fill out there. And Oregon and Washington and USC, these sorts of teams are going to test that second corner more than the rest of the big 10. Yeah. Luckily, all three of those will be breaking in new quarterbacks. 
Yeah. So the, there's there's at least a little bit of a you know an easier path. Um, well, it is nice though. We don't have to we don't have to talk too much about next year because we got so much on the table left for this year. Um, let's look at at Pickham real quick. We'll kind of wrap up there. Um, this has been a season of domination. Do I get any sort of you know, I think we'll, we'll go back at some point and see. I'm pretty sure I won the first half, and it's just been <laughs> streaky here in the the second with a with a short memory. But but yes, credit credit to you. You you, you picked that Washington Oregon game uh, correctly. And Nick, I, I have to give you a shout out. We went back and looked at the midseason picks for the playoff. Nick's midseason playoff picks: Texas, Michigan, Washington, Bama. It sounds pretty familiar. Yeah. Um, maybe before. your fault that Bama's in. Now you're complaining. You put them in your Well, I remember in that, you know, when we made those picks and then we were picking them against Texas A&M that week and I picked A&M to cover the spread. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was and a it was a 26-20. It, it, I think A&M almost covered the spread. So it was really, I was like, basically like, look, Bama, Bama's a good team and, and if they get through this, they'll make it. Uh, but I don't think they're that good. They're not good enough to cover the spread against A&M. Um, <laughs> I didn't really stick with my guns on that. I, I, I flipped going into this weekend. I, I, I picked yeah. Georgia and, and uh, Oregon. But um, Well, we'll give you the, the retroactive credit. Um, we've already done the pick em going forward. Um, so with that, the, the pod will probably go dark here for a couple of weeks. Let all of you get your Hanukkah on uh, <laughs> tonight. Uh, and then Christmas and, and Kwanzaa thereafter. We will regroup with you all in the new year. Uh, for a live pod, January 1st, 4 p.m. Eastern, one hour ahead of game time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you've listened all the way through this pod and all the way through the season, again, couldn't do it without you, or we, we could. We did for many <laughs> years, but it was less fun. Um, so thank you for, for all the, the support, the texts, the, the reviews. Uh, we appreciate it. We read every, every single one of them, Mom and Dad. Uh, so... As, as Jim said, in Indianapolis, all this we got, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody. Go blue. Go blue. Pretty girl said I'm going to L.A.